0: Welcome to the listeners, it's time for episode 114 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports. On today's episode, Kyle and myself break down the big, big 10 matchup between Iowa and Penn State, preview the MLB playoffs, and talk about NFL Week 5. But before we do that, folks, the time us give it a shout-out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single-source, single-origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code SLUMP, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. com, promo code SLUMP. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and get yourself a case today. All right, y'all. It's time for the episode of talks Talk Sports. Kyle Webbetter. Let's get it. Let's bust this lump and let's enjoy. All right, Kyle, I got a question for you right out the gate here. What does the NY and a Yankees hat stand for? What does it stand for, Juju? It stands for next year because start spreading the news. My World Series prediction is dead. May, old takes exposed. Yankees in the World Series. It's not happening this year. You mentioned it on our page, but Garrett Cole was in fact paid more than the entire Rays roster. And Garrett Cole is in fact the reason that the Yankees will not be playing the Rays. Yes, we're starting off with baseball, folks. Get used to it. (laughs)
1: Yes, October baseball. You will hear the giddiness in my voice just talking about October baseball because regular season baseball, pretty irrelevant. Season's kind of long. Last year was more fun with a 60 game sprint. My team, the Padres, totally fell apart at the end of the season. But October baseball, this is where all the excitement comes in. I do have to ask, when did you pick the Yankees? To make the World Series because if this was like a couple days ago, I'm very disappointed.
0: No, 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 no. It was all the way back. Actually, I said May. Uh, technically, March after they acquired Kluber and uh, DJ LeMahieu. I was starting like that roster construction a little bit, and then of course come All Star break, they pick up Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo has a home run last night, but overall last night was just a disappointment for the Yankees. Giancarlo Stanton gets robbed by the green monster twice so much so that he decides on the third time around okay I'm just gonna go literally the other way hits it right around the pesky pole great game certain respects last night obviously that play from Kike Hernandez to get it in on the relay throw to beat Judge at the plate. I feel for the Yankees here because the reason too, I think I probably lean a little bit like Yankees more than others. I, I think I'm a little biased because my dad's a Yankees fan. Last night he was texting me during the game and he was like, ah oh, man, my Yankees are disappointing. Ah oh, man, my Yankees da I was like, yeah dad, I mean, last 10 years you kind of just get used to it after a certain point. Big games, Garrett Cole doesn't come up clutch here. It's a shame. That's why you pay him this contract, right? This is why you have him as an ace. You don't expect him to go literally Really two innings 50 pitches would you consider letting him roll there I know he was a little inconsistent he has ERA in the sevens at Fenway but you do have your ace there it's not like the Yankees bullpen and kind of like that middle bullpen type guys are necessarily just lined up with studs like the Rays are So it's
1: interesting because over a long season, I would have been in favor of leaving Garrett Cole in the game. And this is kind of contrarian because, you know, people talk about preserving arms all the time. But I think over a long sample, you're going to be okay with leaving garrett cole in because over the long sample you know garrett cole's gonna work through some troubles he's gonna go stretches where he's absolutely dominant because as much as garrett cole's been dumped on this year because of the sticky stuff situation i think he finished with the most wins which is not the most like analytically savvy stat but most wins in the american league third in war among pitchers fifth in strikeout rate like garrett cole was still a really good pitcher this year but in that situation i think once you go down three, nothing in any game, your odds aren't great, but the Yankees do have a really good bullpen and they wanted to trust that bullpen. The bullpen did okay. I think they allowed three runs in seven innings, which is pretty good. Could have done better, but still turned out okay. Um, you mentioned Stanton right before that. I, like, Stanton has been crushed by the Yankees fans for like four years, and his contract still has seven years remaining on it. $210 million. The Yankees will be paying Cole and Stanton $66 million a year for the next six seasons and Stanton was about to have his signature moment as a Yankee. He was going to hit 3 home runs in a winner-go-home wild card game. He was going to be remembered forever as the hero of New York that finally looked like 59 home run MVP Stanton again. And he was like what? 10 feet short, 10 feet away. He did get 1 home run, but they were already down 6-1. Most people had turned off the game by that point, And he hit it, like you said, right down the right field line, that little cheap shot home run at Boston. And it was the most fitting end for the Yankees that way, where in their last game, they scored two runs and both of them came on solo home runs. I think that perfectly encapsulates the keg softball team of the New York Yankees that they put together across the last year with Rizzo and Gallo and Judge and Stanton and just giant people all across the lineup. Luke Voigt didn't even get to play. Aaron Hicks has been out the whole season those are also giant people on that roster so in terms of your dad it's got to be used to this right it's been you said a decade but take out the one year where they bought a championship where the second best team in the American League was like Jared Weaver's Angels like take out that 09 season it's been 20 years of this for the Yankees 20 years of they have so much money that they're going to be good Brian Cashman's a Hall of Fame GM, but if you think of the 10 best pitchers and the 10 best batters in baseball across the last decade, how many of them have played on the Yankees? Like, you could debate Judge and Stanton, but even that's, like, nitpicking between eight and nine in terms of, like, generational stars of baseball. The Yankees are doing the best they can without having a Hall of Fame player anywhere on their roster. No disrespect to Stanton. Very great career. I don't think he's going to make the Hall of Fame. but the Yankees are doing the best they can without Hall of Fame players. And that means losing in the playoffs to teams that do have Hall of Fame players like the Astros, Detroit Tigers of the early 2010s, the Rays. Well, the Rays are kind of weird. And now the Boston Red Sox.
0: You mentioned they don't necessarily have Hall of Famers, which I might disagree with you on that respect. I think you mentioned Stanton might be borderline. I think Aaron Judge, if he could stay healthy, maintain what he's doing. He was leading this team at huge stretches of the Yankees season. He was the only thing that really was keeping them afloat. Even though they might not have locked-in Hall of Famers, they definitely do have all-stars littered up and down that lineup, specifically right there in the middle of it when you have Judge, Stanton, Rizzo, and Gallo. Gallo finishing under 200 on the season. Yes, he's always been a great three-troop outcome kind guy, but After getting acquired by New York, maybe he was trimming the beard there, but his stats just really nosedive for a little bit there. And then Rizzo just had a bad season all around. Obviously, he came through with a home run last night, a solo home run at that, that like you mentioned, was a little bit meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but you expected more from those guys when you acquired them. And then... The back end of the rotation, obviously, we didn't get to see how it would have produced in a five-game series, seven-game series, (laughs) but that is going to be another question for the Yankees as they head into this offseason. You know, the great advantage that the Yankees will always have is their ability to outspend other teams, so I'm curious what they're going to do with a pretty loaded free agent class, a good free agent class when you look at it. There are certainly some names out there that I can see the Yankees truly pursuing, Gleyber Torres hasn't really produced over the last couple of years, so a guy like Carlos Correa, who we'll talk about here in a second, might be one of the prized items for them, another big bat to add to their lineup, albeit, you know, obviously adding another righty to what was a predominantly power-hitting righty team probably not necessarily the best asset, but keep adding talent. Eventually, talent shines through. You mentioned, did they buy the title in 2009? Oh, CC Sabathia, Mark DeShera. I'll give you that. But they still did have to beat a really good Phillies team in the World Series with Cliff Lee. So, you know, give mm-hmm. a little respect to that 27th ring, you know? 28th <laughs> ring, doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. And certainly going to the World Series, uh, who knows, that's a I'm, little respect I'm so
1: glad that you mentioned the pitching staff that we didn't get to see, because the joke I've been making for... For like four years now is that every single year the yankees never know who's going to start game three of a playoff series they've always got game one locked in game two locked in sometimes game three you're looking around like is it severino they used to have tanaka all the time is it going to be tanaka is it going to be james paxton this year it was going to be Kluber, or is it tayon or cc sabathia You never know. And we didn't get to see it this year because obviously it fell apart. You talked about like being able to spend unlimited amounts of money and the Yankees under Hal, the son of George Steinbrenner, they've been resistant to going over the luxury tax. They've done it a couple of times, but they don't do it in consecutive years like what the Dodgers are doing now. I think the Dodgers are spending $80 million more than any other team in baseball this year because they just said to hell with the luxury tax threshold. We're just going to go straight to the very top, like what Boston did after winning the World Series in 2018 problem for them was that they just gave the contracts to bad players but I guess Evaldi turned out okay but at the time they were bad contracts to okay players and Boston did that the Yankees haven't done that and the LeMahieu contract the LeMahieu used to be a really cheap great pickup for them and now he's a bad contract into his mid-30s we mentioned the 66 million for Cole and Stanton obviously they've paid contracts to Aaron Hicks who's making eight figures now and we don't really know what's going on with him when healthy he's their starting center fielder but we just don't know what the deal is there and that core of guys that made the 2017 team are also coming up on free agency mainly Gary Sanchez next offseason and Aaron Judge next offseason And Aaron Judge is not going to get the $300 million contract that Lindor got or Tatis or Bryce Harper got. The only reason is Judge turns 30 in March. He's going to be at 31 when he hits free agency. They're not going to give him that all-time record-setting contract. I'm just surprised the Yankees haven't re-signed him yet. I would have thought they would have locked him down years ago. And they're willing to play this out in arbitration, live with Judge only making... I think next year he only makes like $9 million. And I think he's made less than that in like the last four years combined because he used to be like the super cheap option for the Yankees that allowed them to spend $38 million a year on Stanton or whatever the number is. So as we talk about players, they're going to add this offseason because they could sign Correa, they could sign Trevor Story, they could make a move like that. I'm more interested if they forego spending this offseason and wait on Judge or if they spend a bunch this offseason, go all in on next year and then watch Judge, Gary, Sanchez, Giovanni Urshela, Glaber Torres all walk out the door in 2022.
0: I am curious in the sense the Yankees are more of a reactionary franchise. At least that's how I always view them. And obviously there's going to be a lot of pressure on them coming off a loss to your rival, the Boston Red Sox and a winner go home game that I think that you mentioned Hal Steinbrenner being a little bit more resistant than his father. I think that that might change just given there's going to be a lot of outside influence on this decisions coming into this offseason. particularly, I wonder what's going to happen with Brian. Brian Cashman, because I felt like him going into the deadline spending the assets to get Gallo and Rizzo was declaration, I'm worried about my job security because you got to remember what the Yankees were going into that all-star break. People were thinking, is this team just a seller? No one really expected them to truly be a buyer at the deadline. I said
1: in July, the Yankees cannot recover from this. They were like 10 games behind the Red Sox. I said, there's no way they're going to recover. They recovered in like four weeks and tied Boston in the division.
0: Oh yeah, they but had I that had 12 game winning streak there dead. starting with the field the dreams game after getting that walk off on the cornfield after that they also they went back to that yankees team that was before that little bit of hot and cold lineup inconsistencies bullpen inconsistencies not really much of a base threat i think obviously uh the one move that's definitely going to happen is at manager i think aaron boone he's out of there which uh, for a lot of yankees fans will be a move that's praised uh, moving onward. Okay, let's stop speaking ill of the dead right now. Let's move on to some teams that are actually live, active, and still playing. Let's talk about those Red Sox that actually got the win last night. As you mentioned, they were up 10 games on the Yankees at one point, they were cruising. And then, obviously, the Rays passed them. They hit a little bit of a cold streak themselves. Their lineup still was maintaining. They were still a top four offense in most major baseball categories. However, their pitching staff, now that they've spent Ivaldi in Game 1 or the wildcard game, does leave a lot to be desired. And I think this is where the Rays really have the advantage. Now the Rays starting rotation isn't the best. Actually, it is a little bit below average. Their ERA for their starters is about a little bit over four. However, for their entire pitching staff, it's around 3.7. So that tells you how good that bullpen is. So it's really important for the Rays to establish a lead, and get their bullpen involved against these Red Sox. You know, they have obviously their big core middle with Bogarts, Verdugo, Schwarber can put up runs. I'm curious to see how the Rays counteract that offensively because last year in the postseason on the way to the World Series, it was really all Randy Arozarena. Can they get production from... Guys like Wander Franco, Brandon Lowe, Nelson Cruz, who was their big midseason acquisition. Nelson Cruz had 13 home runs for them down the stretch run. At the moment, if I have to put a game prediction on it, I am going to say Rays in four. So this
1: is a fun little stat I can play with you. If you took the entire starting lineup of the Boston Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays, so that's 18 players. Nine starting on each team. And you said, how many of them have a below league average OPS plus, which is the the league average is a hundred for that stat. How many players out of 18 do you think are below average for those two teams?
0: You know, I'm assuming you're mentioning this because it's a relatively high number. So I'm going to say somewhere around 12 players below average. Oh, wow. No, Um, I was going the other way on this. Really? Okay. So zero,
1: it is is zero. Every single batter in the Boston Red Sox and Tampa Bay Rays lineup has an above average league OPS. These two teams in the American League from one to 25 on their rosters might be the deepest in all of Major League Baseball. And apparently someone named McClanahan is starting the first game for Tampa Bay. Now, every year I reaccumulate with the Tampa Bay Rays team when they make the playoffs or play in the wild card or whatever their situation is. And last year I got to learn all of them. Cause I watched them like 15 nights in a row. Cause they've made it all the way to the world series, but I'm looking at this pitching staff. I have no idea who any of them are <laughs> like last year. It was Charlie Morton. It was Blake Snell helping them get to the world series. It was Tyler glass. Now they don't got any of those guys anymore. All three of them are not playing for the Tampa Bay Rays, and those were their three workhorse guys in the playoffs last year. So the Rays apparently have good starting pitchers. I'm not going to pretend like I know who their starting pitchers are at this point. I know Boston's going to start Chris Sale in the first game. And after that, like you said, it's a bit of a question mark about who's going to pitch in game two. Uh, They haven't named the starter for game two at the time of recording. So if people know who it is, you can look it up. But they don't know who's going to start game two for them. If I were to throw out a prediction I would go raise in five in this series but raise in four makes sense too just because I don't think Tampa is going to lose but also baseball's a weird sport weird stuff happens all the time Boston's got a deep lineup just like Tampa Bay and I think the the difference from last year is you're right like it was a lot of uh Rosarena, of course, but also uh, Mike Zanino had like five home runs in the playoffs last year. And other than that, I think it was Manuel Margot. And after that, there wasn't really much else for Tampa. This year, I think they had like five or six players hit over 30 homers. Wander Franco had a I think like a 27 game hit streak to start his career or 27 on base streak. Um, So he'll be the three hitter for them. And he's obviously the best prospect in baseball right now. He may win rookie of the year, may not win rookie of the year. It's kind of tough to figure out. But I think Tampa in the regular season had a deeper lineup than the 2020 Rays team. Not that that means anything come playoff baseball, but in the regular season, they had a very deep lineup. So I'll say Rays in five is my pick.
0: Yeah, one thing that I will give the Red Sox advantage of is I do think, man, did they miss Alex Cora. Obviously, they come back this year. Alex Cora, their manager during their last World Series run and obviously suspended by Major League Baseball coming into 2020 because of the whole Astros scandal. Kevin Cash, obviously, great manager. I questioned his decision last year in the World Series, taking out Blake Snell. Hopefully, he's learned from that to not go purely into the analytics. I know the Rays benefit from analytics, but I think in sometimes these playoff scenarios, being over the top about them, Can get you in some trouble. Uh, And going against another good manager over there in Cora, I think, is going to be one of those interesting little dynamics and battles. Let's take a look at the other side of the bracket now. So, the Astros and White Sox, this has been the matchup pretty much for the last month. These two have been on pace on a collision course for each other as the Rays, obviously, the only team in the American League to hit 100 games. The Astros and White Sox trailing just behind them. The White Sox, the main concern I have about them, the Astros, by the way, have won the season series versus the White Sox. Sox this year. But the main concern I have with the White Sox is coming into this series, they had a little bit of questions on their pitching rotation in terms of injuries. Uh, Carlos Rodon, in his last start, his last fastball clocked in at 89.4 miles per hour. So he's been a little bit banged up. Lance Lynn came off the injury list, which may have been more of a precautionary thing. And then you had Lucas Giolito, who had a hamstring injury. So literally the top three guys in the White Sox rotation all have question marks regarding their health. Meanwhile, you look at what the Astros are able to do. They have a solid rotation, but particularly, I, I love that the bats, you know, age is only a number, except when we talk about these managers for both the White Sox and the Astros, we get a little bit of an old school throwback here with Tony La Russa at age 77 versus Dusty Baker at age 72. And by the way, Dusty is looking spry here. Dusty out there just downing beers in the celebration. Loved it. Fun stat about Dusty. This is going to be his fifth team that he has took to a division series. Fifth team, Dusty Baker, one of the best underrated managers in baseball over the last couple decades. The only thing that's hurt Dusty, of course, is he's one of the few in that old guard that hasn't converted it into a World Series title. He does have the team. He does have the horses here with the Astros to do it. I am going to say that this is going to be a series that goes five games. I am going to pick the Astros to win in five. I just like what they're doing. You know, they have Kyle Tucker who came up big for them. Bregman's healthy. Correa. That is going to be a fun storyline because that the way the Houston Astros fan base was cheering him in their last home game was almost like, is this a farewell tour? Is this all but done? Are the Astros not even going to make an attempt to re-sign Carlos Correa. So I expect Carlos Correa to have his biggest postseason yet. And this is saying something because Carlos Correa in the postseason, he's been a dude. He was the only thing keeping them alive last year. He was why they were really in that ALCS to the very end there. I just like this Astros team. I know that's controversial to say after a couple of years ago, but to scrap back, to fight back after all of that bullshit they had to deal with I think it speaks a lot to the character a lot of the veterans on that roster you go out Jose Altuve
1: yeah Dusty Baker only gets to be a manager again because of the largest cheating scandal of the last hundred years in the sport ends up costing AJ Hinch in the front office their jobs you said that we've had this penciled in for like a month I've been watching this series for like four months now I'm like ooh, White Sox and Astros I want to see that in the CS and now they're going to play in the DS just by the way that Tampa Bay kind of pulled away towards the back end of the season with dominant baseball just off the bat I'm going to take the Astros in four but my rule is also that I don't pick sweeps in baseball playoffs because the sample sizes are too small and too random. But I think the Astros are going to win this series, and I think they're going to win it rather handily. And this is not an indictment of the White Sox. You mentioned that their pitching staff has had problems, but they do have a plethora of guys down there. The White Sox game plan might be to just use five pitchers the entire playoffs where they they use Lynn and maybe Rodon. If he's if he's there and healthy, they'll use him. The Giolito and Dallas Keichel and then uh liam hendrickson craig kimbrell that's a tongue twister craig kimbrell out of the bullpen and just use like starters in different situations where rodon might become a reliever or keichel might become a reliever in certain situations kind of like what the nationals did a couple of years ago to win the world series and their their lineup top to bottom is stacked there's not an indictment of the white Sox. i think the houston astros are the best team in the american league i would pick them to go to the world series at this point i think they are really good even though the names are not ones that we recognize like obviously Springer is no longer there Verlander is no longer there Garrett Cole's no longer there and those were the pieces that kind of dominated through the 2017 to 2019 run for the Astros, but Jordan Alvarez had a really great rookie year, the year they lost the World Series, and now he's a legitimately great player in baseball right now. Aledmus Diaz, people may remember Aledmus Diaz. He ended up finishing with a 907 OPS this year, so he's really good now after he was tossed away by the St. Louis Cardinals and picked up by the Astros. Um, the core four is now a core three, being Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa for now, and Alex Bregman, all of them have had huge postseason success and all of them were really good this year and you mentioned Kyle Tucker people have questions about the pitching staff and it's not like the 2019 team where they had literally the three best pitchers in the American League being Justin Verlander Garrett Cole and Zach Granke they do still have Granke but it's a lot of Lance McCullers and, and Framber Valdez after that so I think that those are good enough I I really like Valdez. I think he's starting game two and McCullers is going to start game one. I actually do like the Astros pitching staff more than most people do, which is why I feel confident because the one place people can point to and say, oh, that's a flaw for the Astros, I don't think is actually that big of a flaw. So. I think Houston will win this series. That is my prediction. I don't feel good about how many games it's going to be because it's baseball and everything is so weird, but I do really like the Houston Astros in this series.
0: We can both agree on that. So we're both on the Astros and Rays to advance. So that will make a great ALCS. They could be totally dated in a week. And we'll review those picks and see where we're standing on that. Let's move into the senior circuit. Now let's talk about the national league. Now, Heads up for listeners, we are recording this before the Dodgers Cardinals game, so we don't know who's going to line up against the Giants quite yet. Look for at those U- of
1: you listening right now, I will say, wasn't that game amazing? It was incredible how the game finished. I can't believe that team actually
0: won. It was unbelievable. Wow, what a great wild card game. Shocking result and to hear our thoughts and predictions heading into that shocking result, check out our YouTube channel where we'll have a separate video just about that series to be. Let's talk about the Brewers and Braves, a series that we already do have locked in. Now, I got to tell you, I went back and forth listening and doing research and seeing where these guys line up. And my thought process really shifted because in my mind, when I was looking at this one, I'm like, the Brewers have the three best starting pitchers, the best three man rotation, perhaps Even against the Dodgers might even have the best three-man rotation in baseball. But as I started to kind of like think about the matchups, think about what all goes into this one, I think that the Braves can present problems to Burns, Woodruff, or Peralta. I don't know who. I don't know when, but I think the Braves can do enough offensively because they have a hell of an infield, even though they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. during the year they managed to almost rebuild him in a way, you know, make up for his loss in production. Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, a couple guys they acquired around the deadline, you know, minor moves at the time, but have paid dividends for them. In the first two games their ability to roll out a guy like uh, Charlie Morden or Max Freed, two great curveball pitchers the Brewers have really struggled against the curveball this year, and Morden is a wealth of postseason knowledge from his time with the Rays and Astros, obviously, I'm actually leaning Braves in five heading into this one. And I, I think it's just going to be a matter of the Brewers postseason experience not being on par with the Braves players. And I also do think the fact that the Brewers lineup isn't as deep. You know, obviously, Willie Adamas was a great addition for them throughout the year, but you would like your former MVP, Christian Yelich, to have more than 248-9 home run line heading into this game. And obviously, Jackie Bradley Jr., who was one of their pre agent acquisitions literally has a negative war at the moment not to mention that they lost one of the top setup men in baseball devin williams because he decided to get a little bit too swifty and (laughs) punch a wall or go full kyle mode after they clinched the nl central and you mean kyle like just the rage filled people (laughs) you mean the the people who drink monster energy drinks and i guess i should have uh yeah not stereotype my bad kyle not no, don't you. not I've,
1: I've been through a public <laughs> high school I, I got millions of kyle jokes growing up as a kid it's, it's not it's not that new to me i was just amazed that you decided to go with that joke there it was wonderful
0: yeah i, I guess sometimes you forget your audience but still Devin or your Williams, co-host no, and your not co-host. even I, your audience <laughs> inconsiderate here my bad Apologies, my friend. But the fact that they, you lose Williams heading into this game just creates a lot more stress on Josh Hader. I feel you might even be tempted if you're the Brewers to throw out potentially Josh Hader for multiple innings just because you know how good he is. I mean, fuck. You want to know how good Josh Hader is? A .097 batting average against this year. 15.7 K per nine rate. The dude is unbelievable. But if you can't get from the starters to him, the Brewers bullpen outside of him, it's kind of a mess. And I think the Braves can take advantage. Like I said, Braves in five.
1: The Brewers were definitely going to do the national strategy of just using five or six pitchers the entire playoffs. Like Maybe they're going to get like one or two Eric Lauer innings here and there, but other than that, they kind of just want to go with Burns and Woodruff and Hayter pretty much all the way through the rest of the playoffs. Okay, so let me just say on the front end with the Braves and the Brewers batting, these two teams basically just do a Spider-Man meme of each other in terms of their lineups. They basically just good enough to get by. They've got a lot of people in the 700s of OPS. They're just slightly above average. Both made little moves at the deadline to try and add pieces here and there. They got one really great player for the Braves. That's Freddie Freeman. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, that's actually Willie Adamas, I think. And then they've got really disappointing stars this year for the Braves being Ozzy Albies, who's going to be their four hitter. And for the Brewers, it's going to be Christian Yelich, who's still their four hitter, but also, you know, like you said, he's hitting the 700s for OPS. I think nine homers this year, you said, is
0: the nine number for home me. runs from a guy who hit 44 just two years ago.
1: Yeah, Christian Yelich, uh, the back. Problems are going to be a a deal for the rest of his career I feel like and so they can definitely get by I think their offenses do a Spider-Man meme and maybe the Braves have a little bit more just because the names are more recognizable like apparently Luis Urias was really good for the Brewers this year the Padres just dumped him on the Brewers like I mean Austin
0: Riley over here batting over 300 with 30 plus home runs too. you know add him there Freddie Freeman Ozzie Albies and Dansby Swanson never quite lived up to his full prospect Rating, but he still is one of the better shortstops in the National League. So, that infield alone, I think, is enough production to get you by. And if you just get any production from Soler and Peterson, I think that they can get to Woodruff and Burns at least once. They tagged him up a little bit throughout the year. I believe the Brewers did win the season series, if I'm not mistaken. But after those series, the Braves were able to go on some of their best runs. And I do think it actually works to the Braves' advantage that they had a battle for the division to the very end. Sometimes baseball is more about momentum, momentum, you know, heading into the uh, postseason because when you have to battle literally to the very last game against the Phillies, like they did versus the Brewers who kind of sat comfortably. I mean, the Reds were challenging them at moments throughout the year, but never really was close. And it took a 17 game win streak by the Cardinals to get within even striking distance of them. Plus, the Cubs fell off right out the gate, too, right in the middle there. Uh, So, yeah, the Brewers have been pretty much locked into this postseason lineup for a while, while the Braves had to just keep battling, keep scrapping, come back from losing their top guy. I just like that they have a lot of positive momentum heading in their direction. I think that's very important in a baseball postseason. I think that's totally valid. I I was going to say at least the Braves have more recognizable names than
1: the Brewers, which doesn't mean anything. I think the playoffs are so random that like it doesn't matter. Like one of these teams is going to have that magical postseason hero who hits like three homers in a game and it's going to be like Omar Navarez or something like that. But I would say I lean Brewers only because I know the Brewers are a more talented team on paper. And you mentioned Acuna, like that one really hurts for the Braves. I thought it was going to be the reason they didn't win the division but you know the Mets fell off the table the Phillies were a disappointment and the Nationals and Marlins started tanking so the Braves kind of won that division by default and like you said they had to fight all the way to the end of the season to fight off a magical late charge by Bryce Harper but I would lean Brewers in this series I'm going to say five games just so that people kind of get that I'm kind of battling with this one to try and figure out where it is. Because again, baseball is hard. I don't pick sweeps because it's so random. I'm just going to say Brewers in five because I'm battling with who's going to win this one. But even without Devin Williams, I still like the Brewers pitching staff to prevail. As a side note, Charlie Morton is going to start game one for the Atlanta Braves. And then Max Freed is going to pitch game two. I thought it was going to be the other way around that Freed would get to be the game one starter. I thought they'd want to use him twice in a long series, but uh, it looks like it'll be Charlie Morton starting game one against Corbin Burns, which is fun. I'd say it's a fun pitching matchup.
0: I think you just like the guy with a little bit more postseason experience to get you started in game one. Game one is going to be very pivotal in this series because it is going to be so close. Okay, Mm -hmm. so we're split on that one. Again, we don't know the results of who they'll face on the other side of the bracket. So NLCS preview still to come. Let's move out of the world of baseball. Let's move to the gridiron. But before we get into our pro predictions, we have a top for AP matchup inside the big 10. We don't talk a ton of college football, but I think this one, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the number three team versus the number four team, Iowa versus Penn State. Right now, Iowa is a two and a half point favorite at home, but I like the Nittany Lions here. Penn State in James Franklin's coaching regime is four and one against Iowa Lifetime. That one loss, Came in 2020 when the Penn State Nittany Lions were 0-5, having just a horrible year, had a lot of opt-outs, had a lot of bad things happen to their program. It was a bit of a regression year, but here they are in the top four. Franklin's definitely got them back. Sean Clifford is playing the best football he's played in his Penn State career. And I just don't think Spencer Petris, the Iowa QB, is necessarily up for the task, though that defense for Iowa, absolutely filthy. They made Tua's brother just look sad. The top-rated quarterback in the Big Ten – Four interceptions against this Hawkeye defense last week. That is going to be the big game changer for the Hawkeyes if they're going to win this game. They have 12 interceptions on the year, but I think that the way this game is going to get played, you have two talented defenses. Penn State's defense is no joke either. I'm just going to lean with who I think has the better quarterback, who has a better coach, who has better skill positions, and recent history, and that is why I'm going to say Penn State prevails even on the road. This is
1: the game that the internet has officially dubbed the worst top five matchup in the history of college football because <laughs> wow,
0: the disrespect,
1: nobody believes either of these teams are top five teams. They're only here because Oregon lost to Stanford. They're only here because Oregon beat Ohio state. They're only here because Oklahoma can't beat anyone by more than 14 points. Apparently it's the rule of being Oklahoma. Doesn't matter if you're playing Tulane or playing against Texas this weekend, you can't beat anyone by more than 14
0: This reminds me of that Jack Sparrow meme. You have to be the worst top five matchup I've heard of, but you have heard of me.
1: <laughs> yes, they they are top five teams in name alone. This is a uh, a chaos season in college football. Fun fact, there have been more upsets in five weeks of top 25 ranked teams than the history of the pole era in college football. 70 plus years, there have never been this many top 25 upsets through five weeks of a season. Now, are a lot of them like 15s and 16s and all those Pac-12 and ACC teams that keep losing to each other yes but it's still a fun stat because there are teams at the top that are losing Ohio State's not as good as they were Clemson's not as good as they were we thought Oregon was going to be good but Oregon did the Pac-12 thing and lost to Stanford there's been a lot of chaos at the top that leads to Iowa playing Penn State and Penn State by the way like they've been very good this year but mind you they did great buy against Auburn early on in the season and most people don't think of Auburn as a great program they're in a transition and Bo Nix is pretty good, but not a great program. So to that point, I can't name you a single player on Iowa. I can barely name you their coach. His name is Kirk Ferentz for people who are wondering. I don't have college football helmets with me because that would be a lot of money and investment, but I do have this Steelers helmet that vaguely resembles the Iowa Hawkeye colors. So if I cover up the Steelers logo, it can show my my pick that I am rolling with the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'll allow it (laughs) (laughs) on (laughs) this audio medium so this is more a joke for people watching maybe a youtube clip later of this but iowa i will take them to defeat the uh the penn state team i could have used the detroit lions too for penn state if if you want to use it for your pick so we no, have... no no no
0: you, you can't associate an actually functional competent lions program with whatever is going on in detroit No, I'm kidding. The Lions are, again, the best, worst team in the NFL. We've mentioned it before, but yeah. Okay. So we're, we're divided here on this one. I'm going Penn state. You're going Iowa. Hey, listen, if Iowa wins this game though, I'm not completely riding them off against the upper echelon of college football, because that defense, if they have another dominant performance, then I think they really just are that damn good and could give It could give a little bit of trouble to, you know, a younger quarterback like a Bryce Young in that potential one versus four. Then again, since he might get the four seed, like you mentioned, it's talking about being a chaos season. There's a lot of teams with opportunities to jump into that top four, jump into that top five, top six. That top 10 is just all over the place, especially with you talk about getting whomped. (laughs) Yes, Arkansas got whomped. Like Georgia, you called that one last week. Now I, I plan on doing a separate YouTube quick myself as the resident Longhorns fan here regarding Red River. If the Longhorns can pull off this victory against Oklahoma, I'll be very curious to see what the polls do with them. Because at that point, they'll have a four game winning streak in their corner, they'll be five and one, but they will have that bad loss against Arkansas, which looks worse after the Georgia loss.
1: So this is another interesting divide that we have because you wanted to seriously analyze Iowa and Penn State. I just wanted to make jokes about all the teams that have stunk in college football this year and just pick Iowa, even though I can't name a single player on Iowa's team, but I hear their defense is very good and scored 52 points against Tua's brother's team, which is I think is Maryland, but they did win that one. Um, Iowa's is setting themselves up for a matchup against Ohio State. That's going to be really interesting because it's their best chance to win the Big Ten in like 20 years. If Iowa does remain ranked number three, they beat Penn State and they move on. Iowa faces the scariest thing any top five team can face in college football, and that is the Purdue game every time someone in the top five plays Purdue, Purdue pulls off some stupid upset that ruins their season, ruins their program. So unfortunately, Iowa has to watch out for the Purdue game later on. Red River, this is a good place to be in for you, Mr. Resident Longhorns fan. I do have to hit you with a horns down, of course, because anytime I talk to a Texas fan, I need to to put them in their place because they wanted the Big 12 to ban the horns down logo. And uh, it's one of the weaknesses weakest things I've ever heard in my life. But even still, you guys are playing with house money at this point. And that is there are no expectations going into this game. Would you like to beat Oklahoma? Absolutely. But if you lose to Oklahoma, it's all good. It's the first year of the Sark era. This year is about building a recruiting base, maybe getting a big win to help out there. But you guys are playing this game with house money at this point. If you lose, it's not a big deal at all. And if you win, it builds the program basically an extra year in the recruiting cycle because you can hold up this victory with players that Sark hasn't even recruited. So imagine what will happen when Sark gets the players that he wants to have in the program. considering tom herman was an okay recruiter by texas standards like he he had some good pieces and a lot of them stayed after he left but even still you guys in the first year i give a pass to any coach in their first year especially in the transfer portal era especially like if you're vanderbilt and you almost lose to yukon or if you're arizona and lose to northern arizona it's like you didn't inherit a great situation so if you're a longhorns fan you're probably gonna lose but that's okay. You're playing with house money at this point. And like I mentioned earlier, you're playing Oklahoma. So at least it's going to be a seven point game in the fourth quarter. So you can always bank on that.
0: Yeah. My expectations heading into the year, I was expecting Oklahoma, honestly, to blow us out by a wide margin, just given how they have a top 10 prospect at quarterback on their team, but then the season commenced. And to this point, you mentioned. Oklahoma being within seven points. Yes, they've been within seven points of each of their unranked opponents, which is a worrisome trend facing the first arguable good team on their schedule. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a fight against Oklahoma. I'm excited to see what happens in that game, but we didn't come here to talk about that. Let's go into the pros. We have a morning game or a very early morning game for you because we're heading up to jolly old London. Pip pip Cheerio. I I can't really do a British accent. I wish I could. Oi, mate. Oi. There, there you go. Oi. Kyle, do this entire breakdown in cockney english and we will be good to go i can just do oi that's all i got
1: oi oi Might mean i can try and do like the guy from ted lasso but that's that's not
0: great um, well the good news is you won't have to do much else because we are talking about the jets versus the falcons after all so analysis might necessarily be at a minimum we purposely chose this game it's a little bit of a niche game obviously playing in london is the only thing that's redeemable about these two teams going against it each other they're battling for draft picks right now. The Jets coming off their first win of the season, beating the Tennessee Titans, the Falcons coming off. Stop me if you heard this one before, but a come from behind victory by the Washington football team. Taylor Heineke coming through in the clutch. Four point favorites are the Falcons in this home game for them. You know, the one thing that kind of stands out to me in this game is the Jets are a very young roster. Now the Falcons are young in some respects too, but both these franchises have played a London game before. The Jets most recently in 2015, the Falcons did it in 2014. I at least know that Matt Ryan has done this travel before that he's at least familiar with this type of travel situation. Whereas a guy like Zach Wilson, two first year head coaches between Arthur Smith and Robert Sola as well, aren't probably as used to this type of game. I'm going to lean with veteran experience. I'm going to say my pick out the gate here is going to be the Falcons to beat the Jets. They've been close. They've been playing a little bit better. You like the offensive pieces for the Falcons a little bit more at this time. The Jets offensive line had a little bit of a bang up situation, did get Jamison Crowder back, and that was huge for them. But those are really the only things that really stand out to me. Another fun fact here, Jeff Albrecht, the Atlanta defensive coordinator in 2020, is now the defensive coordinator for the Jets. So in theory, the Jets might have a potential advantage there. So
1: this game is interesting because the Falcons have been a team that hasn't been the traditional Falcons because now they're rebuilding, but I came in on Sunday and boy, it felt good to have the Falcons chaos game again. Like the Falcons had, had played some weird games to start the year, but none of them felt like a traditional Falcons chaos game where both teams are scoring in the thirties. No defense is being played. We're throwing up Hail Marys and people are catching them in the end zone. And JD McKissick is scoring a touchdown when he should have gone to the ground because they could have just ran the clock down and kicked a game-winning field goal. And then they let Matt Ryan have a chance to win. And there were Hail Marys all over the place. Ah, the Falcons chaos game. It felt good to have one of those again on the 10 o'clock window on Sunday. You mentioned this is the London game, which means I get to wake up at 630 and watch this terrible football game, which I absolutely will. I've missed the London games. They went away because of COVID last year, and I'm missing the waking up and Jameis Winston has already thrown two interceptions for the Buccaneers. I've missed that feeling again on London games. I too have the Atlanta Falcons to win, and uh, the reason for that is just that I think the Atlanta offense is going to put up enough points. The Jets defense isn't great, so they'll put up enough points. They haven't been very good this year. And Cordero Patterson has kind of erased Kyle Pitts from the offense, but he's still there, right? Maybe this is the bad team they finally play that allows Kyle Pitts to break out on offense this year. Calvin Ridley had a great week one and kind of has been Calvin Ridley ever since where he's kind of like wide receiver 17 in fantasy.
0: Not even that this year. (laughs) Actually breaking down the numbers with Drew. Calvin Ridley's numbers are pretty ugly, dude. I think he's in the wide receiver 30s.
1: Oh Please. man! Oh, that's rough. A look the first
0: game was uh, awesome too. It's pretty bad. Check out the Sylvester Fancy Football Podcast. Free plug there.
1: <laughs> yeah, check that out. You're great at plugging stuff. So that's what she said. <laughs> the first drive of the season, Calvin Ridley had like what is it? I think like 70 yards and a touchdown. And then after that, it's been not much else after that. Uh, I was looking at this earlier. I think the Falcons are 32nd in DVOA on offense and their defense is not great either. Um, but I still do like the Falcons because the jets don't really have talent on their team. It was a good win for them against the Titans though. I will give them that like Zach Wilson finally didn't play all time atrocious type of bad. And I think Zach Wilson's probably going to finally have an average game this week. He's had like one game in the sixties in QBR two in the thirties and forties, which is like worst quarterback of the weekend type of stats. And then he was, about a hundred in the last game against the Titans. So I think this might be the week Zach Wilson kind of has a, an average week. Maybe he has an interception or two, but I will also be taking the Atlanta Falcons to win this game between two of the five worst teams in the NFL.
0: You know, it's actually funny because the jets have lost in time of possession, lost in yards last week against the Titans, but the explosive plays were a big storyline there. So if the Falcons could just keep those explosive plays from going off, I think they'll be fine. What is the worst thing that we've done in London? Is it the Revolutionary War? Is it the Jets versus Falcons? Or is it my British accent? That's the real question.
1: I mean, the Revolutionary War was technically here, but I will say, I'll say Jets-Falcons or that one time we sent Jameis Winston there. One of the two.
0: Not the worst. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm going to really appreciate no slander going on in this next game. As we talk about the three and one contending Bengals going against the Green Bay Packers. They are three and a half point dogs, but I'm telling you, they're going to play like true Bengals. They're going to play like the Tiger Kings. They are going to win this matchup against the Packers. Yes, I'm going full upset mode here. I think that this is a great spot for the Bengals. This is a great opportunity for them playing at home. Jair Alexander may miss this game with a shoulder injury. Preston Smith, may miss this game. Zadarius Smith is already in IR. The Packers defense is in pretty rough shape. Meanwhile, the Bengals offense has started to roll a little bit. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, they get T. Higgins back. Yes, Joe Mixon is day-to-day currently with the ankle injury, but I think Samaj A.P. Ryan is more than a serviceable backup there in that particular role. I think this is a situation which the Bengals are more than up for the task. Now, keep in mind, Jesse Bates may or may not play. That's going to be pivotal for can they do anything to stop the Packers on the other side of the ball. But Zach Taylor era, the Bengals have been 2-13-1 in one possession games. This season, they are 2-1 and in that spot and getting points... Yes, I would take them with the points. Um, of course, you know, this is just a straight pick them. So I'm picking them out right here. I'm just telling you, I like the Bengals here, you know, coming off three straight wins in a row, coming off two games in which they were one possession, allowing the Steelers, allowing the 49ers to get back into it. I think the Packers are a little bit due for an upset here.
1: So I think I'm behind you right now in our pick'em pool so far this year by one. <laughs> okay. So I'm behind by one right now. And, uh, this is just basically a freebie. Thank you for that. Uh, I will take the green Bay Packers very happily and, and climb that game back on you because, uh, this is just a simple, like if you're looking for analysis on this one and it'll be funny if I'm wrong. So I'm willing to just go with this. The Packers have Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones and Devonte Adams and the Bengals don't. That's the simple analysis I can give you on this one. It's just that the Packers have those three players and the Bengals don't, and the Packers are going to whoop up on Cincinnati. Cincinnati. We should probably give context for why Juju mentioned off the top the, the, uh, non-slander to the Bengals here because we were debating what to do with the fifth game here and he talked about the Bengals and Packers being a playoff matchup and I said well hold on here the Cincinnati Bengals are not a playoff team or at the very least I don't think of playoffs when I think of the Cincinnati Bengals to which I brought up the point that yes they are three and one so far this year but who did they beat the Chicago Bears they lost to but they beat the Minnesota Vikings they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers and they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do we regard any of those teams as playoff teams? Eh, Not really. Maybe you could argue Pittsburgh. Maybe you could argue the Vikings, but they're both fighting for the seven seed. Like they'll lose their first playoff game regardless. The Bengals finish off the season this year with games including, but not limited to, because I think they play the Jets at some point down. I think they do have the Jets and Lions. So those are nice wins for them, but they play the Packers this week. They have two against the Ravens, two against the Cleveland Browns, chiefs chargers raiders and broncos all on their schedule that is nine of their remaining 13 games coming against universally regarded very good teams the broncos i don't know what to do with them but the broncos can definitely beat the Bengals. so nine games they will be underdogs in the remainder of the season so the Bengals are going to be better than we thought but I think the Bengals are definitely not a playoff team. And uh, although they have the number five defense in the NFL right now, according to DVOA, which is quite surprising, and Logan Wilson's been fantastic, and they have nine sacks already this season, and they had 12 all of last year, which is unbelievable to think about just four games into the year. The simple analysis is Green Bay has that offense that is going to take advantage of the Bengals, despite the fact they have the fifth best defense in the NFL so far. I would say Packers.
0: It makes my life easier that Juju also picked the Bengals. Yeah. Thank you for giving me that freebie, Kyle. But seriously though, let's think about this one before we move on playoff contention and everything. I think both the AFC North and the AFC West are battling currently for who could send three playoff teams. If you are three and one you are in a mathematically good spot. And if they can win this game, go four and one, I think they could split with the Ravens. I think this team is good enough to split with the Browns if Baker Mayfield remains inconsistent. I think that they have an opportunity, still a few team wins from teams that they shouldn't beat. And the record could potentially be somewhere around nine wins. And is that good enough to get into the playoffs? Maybe if these teams just kind of keep beating up on each other, it's not so much a playoff game for the Packers because no one is challenging them currently in the NFC North. So I'll give you at least there. For the Packers, this means nothing. For the Bengals, it could potentially mean everything. Okay, let's move on to another pivotal game, another game in the NFC West. And not meant to be a bias here, but we are talking about the Niners for the third week in row on the show. The Niners are entering Arizona as five and a half point underdogs. Arizona, otherwise known as their second home in a COVID year. <laughs> Going into this game, The big story Line out of Niners land is going to be that Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a calf strain in the Seattle game last week, meaning that Trey Lance has the opportunity to start. It seems like it's trending in that way. I would be surprised if Trey Lance is not the starter given that Jimmy Garoppolo after the game and his press conference was saying he was expecting this multiple weeks. The Niners have a bye in week six. It would make a lot of sense to sit Jimmy Garoppolo in this spot, even if you do plan on bringing him back after the bye week. Trent Williams is day-to-day currently as well. But the Niners do have a little bit of relief coming in. They do have K-1 Williams and Josh Norman potentially coming off the injured list, which would be a huge boost for them because you need all the cornerback help you can get against this Arizona team that features A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, And I think Andy Isabel is still somewhere. Uh, They do have potential to get Elijah Mitchell back, which would also be huge because the running game hasn't quite been there for San Francisco. As far as the Cardinals go, they're coming off a huge victory. Obviously, we didn't expect much from them going into that game in Los Angeles against the Rams. And then they just absolutely kicked the Rams ass. The Rams didn't even look like they should be on the same field as the Cardinals last week. But I'm doing it again. I'm going back to the well. I'm picking a letdown game for Arizona. I just feel as though the momentum coming off of that game against the Rams, they put all their chips into that. They have been a little bit of up and down team throughout the season. If you just look at how they start off against the Titans, then what they did against the Vikings starting off slow, going against the Jags, they were inconsistent. Kick the Rams ass. And then I think coming back home to face the Niners, this is where I really start to question a guy like Cliff Kingsbury. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, this is your opportunity to prove that you're not the fourth best coach in that division because right now it's clear Sean McVay and Pete Carroll are running circles around you so at their minimum beat up on Cliff Kingsbury this is what you need you already had the fourth best quarterback situation in the division you can't have the fourth best coach in the division as well
1: so you are rolling 49ers straight up in this game I, I like the uh the idea with that one and I picked your 49ers last week which disappointed me a little bit I just can't get the Seahawks right at this point I'm just petrified to pick the Seahawks games because it's just so. So hard. I will take the Arizona Cardinals in this one. And the reason is I just don't know what to do with the 49ers offense right now, because you mentioned, obviously, we think Trey Lance is going to play like Jimmy Garoppolo's injury was apparently like a week's long thing. They just didn't want to put him on IR. Jimmy said that he is like hoping to play this week, which seemed a little bit much given that the word had been, it was like a four week type of injury. And apparently like I learned just now they have a bye next week. So that would add more reason to that I do think though like it's tough because you don't want to stunt the growth of the young guy and like have him go back to the bench after Jimmy comes back so like similarly to what the Bears did today with Nagy saying that uh we're Fields is our quarterback and he's our quarterback going forward which is probably what he should have done immediately after Dalton got hurt but now they've committed all the way through I think the 49ers are gonna have to get there at some point with Trey Lance uh whether it's during the bye week or not It depends what the Niners
0: want to do for the rest of the year. Do they want to compete in 2021 or do they want to push the can down the road to the future and go for 2022 with Trey Lance? Because if they win this game, then you're looking at being three and two. Let's say they get lucky. And I think this would be the best case scenario. Seattle beats the Rams. Now you have that kind of mix of three and two at the bottom of the division again, with the Cardinals being four and one, but you beat the Cardinals. So they have an opportunity still be in that playoff mix. Do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo gives you the best chance at 2021? Like, honestly, I do. Because the second half against the Seahawks, Trey Lance didn't look particularly good or didn't look particularly ready. We've seen a lot of bad rookie quarterback play. I think in 2021, Jimmy does give the best opportunity win. But obviously, it's coming down to health. We're seeing another year in which Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt. And he said he felt like he got stepped on. Apparently, recording reports, he didn't get stepped on, but you can obviously feel that sensation if something gives in your calf. Yeah, I I think they would be forgiven if they started Jimmy after the bye week just off that, let's say, if Trey Lance doesn't look that good. If Trey Lance comes in and just dominates against Arizona, then of course they're not looking back. Then that's where you're in that almost 2012 49ers mode where it was Alex Smith versus Colin Kaepernick. Do you go with the guy who just got Wally pipped and Alex Smith? Or do you go with Colin Kaepernick, who's this flashy, new, exciting piece to your offense?
1: You know, what's interesting is the 49ers didn't get any help against the Seahawks when Trey Lance had to play the second half, because you look at his stats, he was 9 for 18, which is not great, like it's 50%, but he had, you know, 170 yards, two touchdowns, he had a QBR over 100. And then you remember that one of those was a 75-yard touchdown to Debo Samuel that, and I'm not joking about this, was the worst blown coverage I have ever seen watching football. That was just terrible, like Lance under Samuel. He stopped, caught the ball, and Samuel still was 15 yards ahead of the defender. It was just an awful blown cover. Some people want to blame Jamal Adams. It's really Sidney Jones's fault. Zone defense is tough because if someone does blow a coverage, you're just technically supposed to blow your own coverage and just follow the person, which is never a great system when things break down. Is just you have to do something wrong. But even then, blown coverage, awful, it's going to inflate Trey Lance's stats significantly I I don't know what to do with that so outside of the quarterback situation because we got a little sidetracked there, but I like having the Jimmy G Trey Lance conversation because it's unlike anything we've seen in the last decade. Even the offense at large, like Sermon's going to be there. Elijah Mitchell is going to be healthy, which I don't like either of those options as running backs. Like I know we all believe in the 49 ers system can turn anyone into a 100 yard rushers, but I, Trey Sermon had 89 yards last week. So it's not like it was terrible, but it felt like they weren't really doing anything effectively running the ball against the Seahawks who are not a very good run defense so even with Mitchell back I still have concerns about the run game Trent Williams was battling injuries last week Kittle's been battling injuries most of the season I know it feels like a broken record because the 49ers are always battling injuries but I do have concerns on the offensive side of the ball and Robbie
0: Gold on IR
1: Yeah, that was a weird kicker. situation. We have a kicker now yeah. on IR. What the hell? <laughs> that was so weird watching the afternoon window and just seeing Wishnowski out there kicking. I was like, "What? why is Wishnowski in the game? What happened to their kicker? Yeah.
0: Pre-game warmups got Robbie Gold. Man, no one is safe. I don't know what's in the air, what's in the water there, but no one is safe. Fire the whole training staff. Just just get it out of the way. Do it again. I, it worked in the Super Bowl year. Now, I think the biggest injury for the Niners is going to be what happens with Trent Williams. If Trent Williams is out this game, it almost makes me want to go back on my pick. I'm putting on the recorded tape here, so I'm not doing that. But still, if Trent Williams is out, then you have Chandler Jones. We have J.J. Watt, who has zero sacks this year, but that could change very quickly if the offensive line is depleted. Uh, Yeah, so we are separated in this respect as well. Let's get into another huge game when it comes to the AFC playoff picture. The Cleveland Browns are going to SoFi Stadium. The Chargers are one and a half point favorites heading into this game. Now, we joked about it last week on Monday night. Definitely does seem like the Raider Nation was rocking there, despite Obviously a huge victory by the Chargers, but the dog pound does travel well as well. And I do expect them to be very voiceless. Is this another week in which Justin Herbert's gonna have to utilize a silent count in his own stadium? We shall see. That's not exactly great, though, when you have to go against a top 10 passing defense like the Cleveland Browns are. Did a great job. And I, I like teams that can win in different ways because when Baker Mayfield is not having his best game, in fact, having a downright miserable game, in fact, he called in his press conference a piss poor performance, which is very par for the course there, but the Browns defense picked him up in an excellent way. You mentioned Rashawn Slater hasn't given up a sack since 2018. Well, That challenge will be matched by Miles Garrett, who is having an amazing year. Definitely one of the leading front runners for defensive player of the year. Stefanski made a point to say that he's going to try and get Baker right this week, get the passing game right this week. But I think that would be the wrong move. This Chargers team is allowing over 140 yards rushing per game. What is the Browns' strength? Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. That is why I'm rolling with Cleveland this week.
1: I guess we are uh, against each other again, because I am rolling with the, uh, I mean, I I know they're in Los Angeles, but I just want to say at the San Diego Superchargers San Diego Chargers.
0: Charge, oh, we're singing Chargers. on this podcast. Damn, I should have known that yeah. because I was I was tempted to go with a little Sweet Caroline at the top when we're talking Red Sox Yankees, but you know I'll keep that in mind for future episodes. Anyway, yeah. you were saying Sweet Sweet
1: Caroline. It's okay. I mean, but like I know ba, ba, people ba. really like it. It's okay. I'm not gonna say it's overrated. I'm gonna say it's just it's okay. So for the Chargers this week, I think this could be a little bit of recency bias, and I was afraid of that when I put the pick in because you know I do think the Browns are better than the Chargers I think if you take all four well I guess you could go six but the four units on the field which is the best I would say the Browns defense is the best unit on the field coming into this week does that mean that the Chargers are going to not be able to move the ball on offense I don't think so I think Austin Eckler comes and goes as he pleases last week he was just a monster against the Raiders which was I think more a product of the Raiders than Austin Eckler but Austin Eckler is still a really good running back I I I know Denzel Ward is going to be matched up probably with Mike Williams for a good part of the game. The Browns don't usually have like him ball hawk anyone the whole game. Like they tried it with Tyreek Hill a little bit, but then they just went into a zone coverage back when they played the Chiefs in week one. But he'll probably be on Mike Williams for a good portion of the game just because they can zone scheme Keenan Allen and, you know, limit the big play ability with Mike Williams. We'll what see what they up- me is the
0: size of those Browns corners versus the size of those chargers wide receivers. I think Mike Williams got Denzel Ward beat by a good five, six inches there.
1: Yeah. Denzel Ward is a fascinating case for like the position of corner because he doesn't look like a traditional corner and yet he's like got his hand in the middle of every pass. I don't understand how Denzel Ward is as good as he is, but the Browns, Brown saw it coming out of the draft like he was like the number 12 13 prospect for most people and they took him four and look how well it worked out for them even if Quentin Nelson I think was on the board at the time but Denzel Ward still fantastic I would say the Chargers can still move the ball against the Browns defense and that's kind of going to be the key there because like you mentioned Cleveland's offense it's the old uh, joke or the old adage that uh, I think it was Lendell White of the former USC Trojans who said, uh, if you need one yard, I'll get you three. If you need five yards, I'll get you three. This is the Browns offense. If you need 20 points, they'll give you 24. If you need 30 points, they'll give you 24. It kind of feels like where the Browns are at at this point. They're going to win time of possession, probably. They win it most weeks, which is kind of the strength of the Browns, which... Kind of comes with running the ball a lot, but also they use Jarvis Landry as a non-prototypical running back. So not just with like end around plays, but also like short passes to Jarvis Landry. He's obviously not there anymore, so they've had to adapt the offense a bit. I'm curious, what do you think about the Odell Beckham situation there? Because I know Browns fans are not exactly
0: happy with all that. I think Baker has to hit him when he's wide open like he was in this past game against the Vikings. It was like a comeback route. I know it was like on a third down, pivotal third down late in the game, and he just sailed him bad. I know miscommunications happen, but I put that one all on Baker. And you do kind of want to put some blame on Odell just because of Odell's personality it can be a little bit polarizing. But I think that there's no excuses when a quarterback just can't hit a guy that's just purely wide open like Odell was in that situation because then at that point, Odell's doing his job. Now we'll see how it plays out. But I think, yes, the Browns absolutely miss Jarvis Landry right now. He's at least on that same wavelength. I don't know if Baker and Odell will ever just be on that same wavelength. And I, I think that that's probably why you consider trading Odell more than anything, just because not that he's a bad player, not that Baker's a bad player, but together they just don't fit. What's the old adage from Talladega Nights? Uh, peanut butter and cocaine. They just don't fit. And that's what exactly <laughs> Baker Mayfield and Odell feels like, or I guess in Odell's case, pizza and cocaine in a London hotel room. I don't know.
1: Uh, I was gonna say Baker is cocaine. I like that that version better, where you you kind of like, oh, well, I guess Baker's peanut butter. When he no. had
0: that uh fu manchu he's definitely that cocaine vibes. That's the vibes I got. Or even better, when he had that full-on trench coat, the absolute meme version of Baker Mayfield in that full-on trench coat. He looked like Randy oh, Marsh there.
1: Yeah, that was, that's the joke I love. Um, he looks like he's not allowed within 100 feet of the elementary school. Like jokes like that were excellent. Just got through the, with his
0: third divorce.
1: Yeah, we, we also haven't even mentioned that he got arrested for running from the police and got caught on video. But well, the Baker Mayfield jokes are there. Um, to the point on the bad pass, my joke around that was that th- that was no one's fault. That is the football gods saying that if they convert that they can go into victory formation but the thing is if you go into victory formation that means Kirk Cousins can't get the ball down one 85 yards to go no timeouts one minute and that's basically where kirk cousins has lived now since philip rivers has retired is that philip rivers purgatory is now kirk cousins purgatory where every week kirk cousins is down a touchdown one minute no timeouts length of the field every single week it's happened three of the first four weeks to kirk cousins it'll happen every week of his career they might win some might lose some but they're always going to be in that situation so that's kirk cousins purgatory for you to the point on the browns do you know who the leading receiver on the browns is this season do you think you can guess who the the Browns' leading receiver in yards is? I'm going to say Kareem Hunt. You would be correct. Kareem Hunt is the number one receiver for the Browns. Now, is that because Jarvis has played two games and Odell has played two games? Yeah, probably. But the Browns offense is predicated two tight end sets, two running backs a lot. They only need one or two receivers. The more likely scenario is that Odell gets cut at the end of the season because they can cut him with minimal cap hit. And I don't know what they could get in a trade to not have to take that cap hit. So more likely scenario, they amicably agree to part ways at the end of this season. We did a podcast on Take It Easy about that. So I will take the Chargers to win this
0: week as the
1: final thought
0: here on this game. Okay. Well, at least this week, and it was pretty clear and it was pretty easy to pick a main event, was the obvious game of the week, the Sunday night football game, the rematch of the AFC championship game from a year ago. The Bills will be traveling into Arrowhead to face the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City currently is a three-point favorite going into this one. I talked about it with my Braves and Brewers preview, but this is a game I went back and forth on a lot as well. Because in my mind, out the gate, gave the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt. I was all in on the Chiefs. And then you really start to pick apart the Chiefs defense and some of the statistics here, and they are ugly man they have allowed the second most points second most yards per game in the nfl meanwhile on the other side of the ball the bills have just been dominant through these last three weeks yes they played the dolphins they played washington football team they played houston last week but what i expect a good team to do whenever they face one of those bad teams is blow them out. And they have not disappointed. They've done everything that they need to do against those teams. It doesn't feel like the Broncos where they still kind of let those teams be in the game. No, the Bills have just been going in and kicking ass. So I think the Bills... With their extra versatility on offense, they have a little bit more of a running game this year than they did last year. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss have actually contributed, which has been a big change in their offense. Dawson Knox seems to be healthy and rolling. And then Emmanuel Sanders was a great acquisition for them, adding that veteran wide receiver there to pair along with Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley. Yeah, I'm actually going with the Bills this week. Bills mafia. Let's get it. The Chiefs last week, they allowed like Devontae Smith and... Jalen Hurts to absolutely pick them apart. I wanted them to at least have a good performance against the Eagles, and they just couldn't do that for me. Yeah, I-, I think the Bills caused a lot of issues for Patrick Mahomes this week.
1: I love that pick. If I'm picking against the spread, I absolutely am picking the Bills Mafia if you're giving me the three points. Uh, I refuse to bet against Patrick Mahomes, though, so I will take the Chiefs on the straight-up pick. Um, Big but I week do think- for
0: us. This is going to be one of those weeks where we are very, very unaligned.
1: Yeah, we could have a a massive swing at this point, because I think everyone except the Falcons, I could take the Jets to make it a clean sweep of six if I if I wanted to switch that. But I'm going to stick with the Falcons there if we wanted to do a clean sweep of picking against each other. Fun game here for you. So you mentioned that the the Bills have played the Texans, the Dolphins, the Steelers, and I forgot who the other team they played. Washington is. Those are might be the four worst offenses in the NFL. Like it's pretty close. It's not entirely it, but those might be four of the worst offenses in the NFL. If you throw Jacksonville in the mix, DVOA is a stat from Football Outsiders that takes into account game situations for defense and offense. So, who do you think has the number one defense according to DVOA so far this
0: season? The number one defense, according to DVOA, well, I'd have to assume it's one of these two teams, <laughs> so I'm going to go with the Bills then.
1: Yes, the Bills are number one. The Chiefs are actually 32 in DVOA. They are the worst defense in the NFL, according to DVOA. Who do you think has the number one offense in the NFL this year, according to DVOA? The Bills. That is correct. The Buffalo Bills are first in both of those stats, which is Unfreaking believable how dominant they've been. I think after the weird loss to the Steelers, they've outscored opponents like a hundred to sixteen or something like that. It's been crazy how dominant the bills have been against worse well against pretty bad teams but still they're just whooping up on terrible teams so far this year uh anyone who thought the bills were gonna fall off here from last year are sorely mistaken so i'm taking the chiefs there and it's only because like i said i don't know how the bills are going to do against a good offense it's weird to go from playing four of the bottom five or six offenses in the nfl to immediately playing the best offense in the nfl it's quite the discrepancy it's really random and I think I'm just making the safe pick of choosing Kansas City this week I think I just don't have the cojones to really go out there and say Buffalo is going to pull off the upset in this one so I think I just wanted to play it safe I know what Mahomes is The Chiefs score 34 points and people think it's a disappointment. They scored 42 against the Eagles last week and people were like, huh, thought they would have scored more. Felt like they had more opportunities to put points up. They put up 42 and people like just kind of bat an eye at the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, So I will take Kansas City in this one. This is a Lane Kiffin, get your popcorn ready type of game because it's Mahomes versus baby Mahomes. It's AFC championship rematch. This is going to be a really, really fun game. And money line, again, for people who are into the gambling world, money line, I would take the Buffalo Bills with the three points or three and a half. I saw somewhere you can get it for three and a half at this point. I would take the Bills with the money line uh, and and bank on that one. I'm just taking the safe pick for the spirit of the pick 'em pool because I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes.
0: I mean I think the Bills can do enough defensively to give Patrick Mahomes problems uh Tredavious White lining up against Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill obviously went off last week with three touchdowns I think that the Bills have a good defensive line with Rousseau Basham Oliver putting pressure on Mahomes has always been the key there can you kind of get him to overthink things take away his number one option of course he's going to have Kelsey there as a security blanket no one's going to be really able to cover Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey is literally uncoverable you know given all the factors uh, that I mentioned, I just I like the Bills. I, I, what can I say? I, I think that they've just been showing that they've been the most consistent, good team outside of that Pittsburgh Steelers loss, which week one, you can always write it off because week one, all 32 teams think that they're competing for a Super Bowl. And the Steelers, that particular week, thought that they were going for it. Uh, it, does, it does seem like it this year. This isn't really my cojones pick. I think the Bengals are my cojones pick of the week, though. Uh, we're divided on four games here, though. It'd be funny, though, because we've we've done this before. <laughs> we've been divided on like four we're also, games
1: also divided on iowa you know yes I, I, yes true
0: but you know we're talking nfl you know i i think if it was college games overall i think you might have an edge on me just because I'll, I'll give you the credit here my friend you have a little bit more college football enthusiasm when you come out of a state like new mexico getting into college football is a little bit of more of a learned art form than something that you're just kind of born into that has taken some time for me to really work around Hey, you know, in a couple of weeks, I mean, talk about being a sports junkie. We talked about college football. We talked about MLB. We talked about NFL games on this podcast. Next week, we're going to have to start previewing some NBA action. These next few weeks for the sporting world are starting to look pretty exciting. Uh, Have you already started thinking about your NBA picks yeah,
1: and I think it's easy because most of the teams are kind of the same as last year. There hasn't been very much moving around, moving and shaking of sorts in the NBA this year. So I, I think it's going to be fun. We're going to have a bunch of previews and stuff coming up because the NBA, we get excited for the first games of the year because they put really good games on. I think this year they have Nets and Bucks as the first game, which is, you know, Giannis and Katie are by far the two best teams in the league. And then we kind of like ignore basketball for a little bit because, you know, there's world series going on. There's uh, and, and NFL in the heat of things college football is usually kind of interesting but I think the NBA is going to be fun this year I think that it's going to be a lot of the, the people we got used to in the in last season and the last two years going back to the bubble I think we're going to get to see a lot of these names that people have already gotten accustomed to be really good again so to tease things a little bit I would say that Brooklyn is the overwhelming favorite this year for most people's picks despite the weird Kyrie Irving situation we discussed on a couple slump buster podcasts ago i think everyone kind of views brooklyn as that team and i just want to watch them play the bucks the first week of the season because the last time they played was that awesome game seven in the second round where kevin durant thought he broke the bucks hearts but instead he had a foot on the line and we had overtime and everyone played 50 minutes and everyone was out of gas at the end of the game so i'm excited to watch that coming up this year
0: I promise to our listeners here, when we do talk NBA topics, we're going to try and keep it from constantly devoiding into a LeBron versus Michael Jordan debate that is settled. That is for other debate shows. We're going to have our own little fun with it. We're not going to ignore basketball. Kyle's on board, so we're going to kick ass with our basketball coverage this year. But if you want to stick around for it, you got to hit that subscribe button, folks. You got to leave that five-star review. You got to like this video so the algorithm gets us out to more people so we can also help those people bust the midweek slump check out our partner cavemancoffeeco.com yes cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump come on get yourself a case of delicious cold brew coffee like that mocha that kyle is holding in his hands right now when you use promo code slump at cavemancoffeeco.com juju talk sports kyle Ledbetter. better stay safe happy and healthy and we'll see you on the next one